We're continuing our focus leading up to Easter on simply Jesus, uh, simply who He is and, and what it means to worship Him and trust Him. Last week, we began with an overview of the four narratives found in the Bible that describe the life and teachings of Jesus. We call these narratives in the Bible the Gospels. Last week, we looked at the Gospel of Matthew. This week, we're going to learn from the Gospel of John, also called the fourth Gospel because it is the fourth of the four Gospels that are listed in the New Testament. Also last week, we issued the challenge uh, for each person to read one of the four Gospels in the weeks leading up to Easter. Um, we said if you didn't have a Bible that was readable, that one that you could really relate to, we wanted to encourage you to pick up one of the free copies of the New Testament that we have out in the lobby. It's in the New Living Translation. It's just a very easy-to-read translation that you could understand and, and, and really just focus on simply Jesus these weeks leading up to Easter. I shared last week that if you pick the Gospel of Matthew, which was our focused uh, gospel last week, that if you read one chapter every day uh, during that four-week period leading up to Easter, you would finish on Matthew 28, which is the resurrection chapter, uh, on Easter Sunday. That would be kind of cool. Well, the same is true for this week. Now, if you took that challenge and you've started reading Matthew, great. Keep on the course. You're probably about chapter seven or eight now. Just keep on going. But if you didn't take that challenge or you weren't here last week, then I want to issue that challenge again for you to pick one of the gospels. If you picked, pick John, the, the gospel we're focusing on today, it has 21 chapters. So literally, you could start today, this weekend, and read one chapter every day, and you would read John 21 on Easter Sunday and Easter weekend, and that would be uh, a great way to focus on the resurrection. Now, concerning Easter weekend, we're offering four different services this Easter as we're committed to making more room for others to hear uh, uh, about the resurrection of Jesus here at Southwest. So we want to encourage you to be inviting others to come and uh, and share that time with us. Be inviting them to come to one of these four services. It's kind of faint here on the right, but it's 8.30, 10, and 11.30. You'll notice those are different times than normal. And if you're a regular here at Southwest, and if you have a guest, a friend, a family member coming, uh, find that, that time that works for them and come with them. If, uh, if you don't have a guest, and I hope everyone does have a guest this Easter weekend, uh, but if you don't, then maybe consider coming to the Saturday evening service or the 8.30 a.m. service just so that we can make as much room as possible for those individuals that are maybe new to the church or maybe are just seeking God for the first time uh, this, this Easter, service, Easter season. Well, back to John's gospel. John is different than the other three uh, which are called the synoptic gospels. As we examine his unique telling of the Jesus story, we're going to approach it in a unique way. We're going to read it from back to front. Now, that might seem odd, and, and I know that's unique. We don't normally read books that way, but 
It's almost like that you pick up a, a book in the library, you pick up a book at a bookstore, and you start by looking at the back cover to try to find out a little bit about the author who wrote the book. Well, that's the way we're going to start with John. We're going to look at the epilogue. If you follow along in the message notes in the bulletin, uh, an epilogue is just really another way of saying an afterword or a summary of the book. And it's here that we find the actual author of this gospel. We read about this uh, in John chapter 21 and beginning in verse 20. Now, by the way, up to this point, the writer of this gospel uh, refers to himself in a very humble way. He describes himself throughout the gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, the first time I read John, I'm like, I thought Jesus loved all the disciples, okay? But, but the truth of it is, he was very humble. And so, he doesn't even mention his name except that he was the one that Jesus loved. And it's kind of hard to discern, okay, who wrote this? Until you get to the very end in John chapter 21, he refers to John the Apostle, and he says this, he says, this disciple is the one who, I, who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world would not, could not contain the books that would be written. You know, after self-identifying himself as John the Apostle, the author goes on to say that Jesus did so many amazing things that if every one of them were recorded, that the world couldn't even contain the volume that that book would be. I like that description of Jesus, that he was always doing good and that he did many more miraculous things than we even know about. Now, as we continue our backward progression through the book, we read in chapter 20 the purpose for which John the Apostle wrote his gospel. And he wrote this in what's sometimes the section of the book called the book of glory. In John 13 through 20, and we're going to look as we're going backwards in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he tells us the purpose of his writing. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Here we see clearly the purpose for which this book of the Bible was written. It was written so that we could believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you were here last week as we read from God, Matthew's gospel, we learned that, that that's a real focus in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah. We talked last week how that Messiah was the Hebrew name, the Greek equivalent was the Christ. So when you say the Christ or the Messiah, that's really the same word, just two different languages. He was the long-awaited king. That's what the Messiah or Christ meant, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, the kings were anointed. And Jesus was that long-awaited, anointed 
king. You see, Jesus came to be our king, our leader. Yet John emphasizes more than any of the other New Testament writers that Jesus is the Son of God. And he wrote his gospel so that we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that to find real, meaningful life, it's in him. It's actually written in such a way to call the reader to a decision of whether or not we, as the reader, believe the claim that Jesus is the unique Son of God who came to reveal God in all his glory. So, I want to just begin by asking you a question. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And you might say, well, yeah, of course, I, I believe that. I've gone to church all my life. Well, just because you've gone to church all your life doesn't mean that you've really wrestled with what some of these truths have to say about our life and what they have to say about who Jesus is. And so the question I want to ask again is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That means that Jesus is God in the flesh. John describes that earlier in his gospel. And yet also, he is the exact representation of his Father in heaven. So for us to understand who God is, for us to understand what God is like, we look to the person of Jesus because he is the exact representation. He is the one who reveals God. As we get to know Jesus, we get to know the heart of God. And we can see this unique, one-of-a-kind image of God in Jesus Christ. We see this is the emphasis throughout John's gospel. As Jesus makes it clear that he is God. Now, sometimes for 21st century Americans, we can read the Gospel of John and we can miss some of the subtleties and some of the powerful statements that Jesus was making that John reveals in his Gospel. In fact, in this, this book of glory, we see that Jesus describes himself with seven I am statements. In the Gospel of John, he says over and over again, I am. Now, we might think, well, he's just self-disclosing himself. And yes, he is. But, but I think it's also important for us to understand that for the Jewish mind, they understood that, that God had first revealed himself to Moses, or actually Abraham, but, but Moses uh, on, in, the, in the burning bush. And when Moses said to, to God, who are you? What is your name? And the answer was what? I am who I am. And so when Jesus of Nazareth stood up in Jerusalem in the temple courts and said, I am, who? for the Jewish people, that just like, whoa, what, what, he's claiming to be God. They got it. We sometimes miss that. And so throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection, the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. Well, that sounds like a message series, doesn't it? That's a message series waiting to be preached. Now, while Jesus is declaring these statements in John's gospel, he's also simultaneously demonstrating that he is God through seven miraculous signs. 
As we read that in John's gospel that Jesus changes water into wine, that Jesus heals an official son, he heals a disabled man, he feeds the 5,000, he walks on water, he heals a man born blind, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now that definitely makes me want to preach a series on the the messages of the, the miracles of Jesus. Now, as, as we think about the miracles of Jesus, I think sometimes we have to pause and just recognize that from time to time, we desperately see our need for a miracle. Now, the good news is just, just like Jesus performed miracles in the past, I believe he still performs miracles today if we have eyes of faith to see it. You see, I believe that that Jesus still longs to miraculously transform our lives. He he longs to miraculously heal marriages and families that are, are going through strained times that even are broken. I believe that that Jesus longs to answer prayers for those who long to see a miracle take place in their lives. Do you need a miracle in your life? Or do you know someone who needs a miracle? If so, then I want to point you to Jesus, the Son of God, who delights in doing more than we can ask or imagine in the life of those who will truly believe. Now, this is as good of opportunity as ever for us to ask you to consider being a part of a very important team here at Southwest. And that's to be a part of our prayer team. As you can see in the bulletin, we, we are looking to enlarge our prayer team. We would love for each of you to be a part of our prayer team here at Southwest. You might say, well, I, I just don't know if I have time for another meeting during the week. We're not asking you to attend another meeting during the week. We're asking you to be available to pray for God to work in miraculous ways. Almost every week, there's, there's a need that someone expresses for God to show up in a miraculous way, to be at work, to bring comfort, to bring healing, to bring change. And, and we want to provide an, an avenue for you to ask others to pray with you. So, you'll see in the bulletin, what we've got is we have an email prayer team where if you volunteer to be a part of this prayer team, and you can just, uh, through that link, submit your name and the email that you'd like to receive a prayer request, then you can be a part of a team that receives prayer requests. But also on the other end of that, you'll later get to hear how God worked through those prayer requests in some pretty amazing ways. So I wanna ask, will you sign up today to be a part of this team? of just a group of believers that believe that God still works miracles today. Yes, the Gospel of John shows Jesus in all His glory, and it shows the miraculous signs to give us the evidence that He is who He claims to be. And so that first section of John is sometimes called the book of signs, and we see the evidence of who He is. I especially love how John's gospel is written in a very personal manner in which we can see close up who Jesus really is. 
Some think that John was the closest of the disciples to Jesus. And I think that as we read John's gospel, we see that we get, we get a very intimate portrait of who he really is, that he truly is the Son of God. That's why if I meet someone who is maybe searching to find a relationship with God for the first time, or maybe they're investigating the claims of Jesus, or maybe they walk through these doors and they're kind of all new to the church thing, and they're like, well, where do I even begin my search? I typically point them to John's gospel. Because I believe in John's gospel, we really get to see the heart of Jesus. And so I want to invite you again, if, if, if you've never really taken the challenge to, to read and research for yourself, why not over the next three weeks just read this amazing portrait of Jesus in the Gospel of John? And as you read it, ask yourself, do I really believe that He is the Son of God? Do I really believe He is the exact representation of God? And that in Him, I can see the heart of God toward me and toward the people that I care about. And as, as you wrestle with that, then ask yourself, will, will I accept, will you accept that invitation to follow Him like His first followers did? In the rest of our time, we're going to read together a description of some of these first followers as they were eager to spend time with Jesus to learn the heart of God, and to learn what it meant to be in relationship with God. And I love how John describes these initial meetings, and, and, and Jesus just seems so relatable. I think as we'll read this, you'll see that. And, he, and I love how John describes how different individuals with different personalities responded to Jesus in different ways. Now, I need to warn you that this section of Scripture that we're going to read, it's kind of a long reading, and we're going to read it all at once. It's chalked full of names. We'll see Jesus described by various names, and I think there's a lot for us to take to heart. We're going to be introduced by some of His first followers by name, and we'll even see some nicknames, or at least one nickname that Jesus gives one of those guys. Names are powerful. And yet, at times, names can be overwhelming when you're flooded with a lot of new names at once, whether it's you're starting to read the Bible for the first time, or or maybe you start attending a church and there's just a lot of new people to meet. It can be overwhelming. We have here at Southwest a number of young families. In fact, this year, we've got a number of babies being born. I think we might have a record number of babies being born this year at Southwest, which means we're going to need more help in the nursery coming up, okay? And, and I'm always eager when a family's going to have a new baby, what are they going to name that baby? I love to hear the, the, the backstory on those names. I've recently announced the birth of my grandson and how his name, his initials spell out car because my son-in-law's a car enthusiast. And um, not to be outdone, Jane and I have an announcement to make ourselves. And you might say, oh, you're, you're a little bit old to be having a baby. Some of you laughed a little bit too loud there, but, uh, but we're going to be welcoming another baby into our home. And here is a picture of him. 
I started the year by saying that it's a year of adventure for me, and I finally agreed to Jane we could get a puppy. And she told me, she said, we're going to wait till the grandson's born before we bring home a puppy. The grandson was three days old, and she emailed me this picture (laughs) and said, I found our puppy. So we're struggling to come up with a name. Now, believe it or not, the breeder gave this little boy, Cavapoo, the name Brutus. Now, for those of you who are Ohio State fans, you're going to say, that's a great name. But I'm not ready to convert, okay? So we've got to come up with a new name. I want to share with you this weekend my favorite name for this little guy, okay? We're going to get him uh, after Easter, I think it is, okay? And so um, here's, here's the name I've come up with. It's the name Peeve, because I want to introduce him as my pet Peeve. <laughs> now, Jane doesn't like that name at all. So we're struggling with coming up with a name, but I, and, and I, last night I shared this with a group of people that work on Sundays, and, and I started getting suggestions. My hunch is we'll get a lot of suggestions after today, but, uh, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed with naming our puppy. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with the name of the nar- and the narratives that we're about to read. But I do want to ask you, as we're introduced to a bunch of names of guys that started following Jesus, which one can you identify with most closely? Which of these first followers responds to Jesus maybe the way that you respond to Jesus, or maybe that you're responding right now? Actually, I can see myself in one of these guys. Which one of these describes you? Is it Andrew? Is it Peter? Is it Philip? Is it Nathaniel? Which one will you relate to? Well, let's read it together in John 1, verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. By the way, this John is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist, yet another John. I know it can be confusing. But as as Jesus walked by, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, by the way, I think one of these two was John the Apostle. It doesn't tell us that, but I just think it was. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. They went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and, and said to him, come follow me. 
Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who's at the stairway between heaven and earth. I love this story. I love this telling of Jesus first meeting these guys. Jesus seems so relatable to me. I don't know about to you. But when they start following him, he says, what do you want? And they said, we want to see where you're staying. He says, come and see. I love that. And they just hang out together for an afternoon. And they just get enthralled with the person of Jesus. Now, as we look at their different responses, whom can you relate to? Is it Andrew and the other unnamed follower that I think was John the Apostle? Because it seems like they just simply accept the call to come and see and spend time with Jesus. If you're new here at Southwest, then we just want to invite you to keep coming and see. Come and see. If this Jesus we talk about and exalt here regularly, if it, he isn't the one that holds the answers for your life, possibly you're going to investigate him for the very first time this Easter season. If so, then I want to encourage you, pick up the Gospel of John and read and see if he's not the one that we're describing. Possibly you can identify with this guy, Andrew, who he was so excited of what he had found in Jesus that he immediately went to find his brother so that his brother Simon, who later became known as Peter, would be introduced to Jesus as well. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to invite others to come and hear about him this Easter. Who could you go and tap on the shoulder, send a text, send an email, invite at work, go across the street in your neighborhood and just say, hey, would you come to church with me this Easter? Would you just come and see what God's doing in the life of my church? Would you come and see about this person that we worship named Jesus of Nazareth? Would you begin praying as I'm praying that many will come this Easter season to hear about the good news of the resurrection? Will you begin to pray specifically for individuals that you would like to invite to come and see? Possibly you can identify with Simon, who Jesus nicknamed Peter. Why did Jesus give nicknames? I, I think sometimes it was endearing, but I think it also it was sometimes to communicate to that person, okay, you've been a certain way all your life, I, I, I believe you're going to change by hanging around me. 
I think that nickname, that new nickname for Simon, Peter, communicated the person that Peter was going to become. Maybe this Easter season, you're sensing a nudge from God to make a change, maybe a change you've been resisting for some time. Are you willing to be open to some changes that God wants to bring about in your life so you can become that new person that God's called you to be? Possibly you can identify with Nathaniel. I know I can. Because by nature, I'm a skeptic. I get a kick out of Nathaniel when he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, which was a very poor little town in Israel. Nathaniel's response was, what good thing can come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I, I love that. He was just honest. He had questions. He was skeptical. You know, growing up, I grew up in Indiana. I didn't say, well, what I used to say is, can anything good come from Kentucky? You know what I mean? I'm sorry if you're from Kentucky. I've come to grow, know some people from Kentucky, and I realize there, there is some good things that can come from Kentucky. But the truth of it is, whatever your bias, whatever your skepticism is, are you open to taking a fresh new look at who Jesus is? Now, what turned Nathaniel was that Jesus told Nathaniel some things about himself that only God would know. That's what happened to me as I started reading the Bible. I'm like, how can think something that was written 2,000 years ago speak so powerfully to my life and expose things in me that I know need to be exposed? Well, the message that we hear over and over again is come and see, come and see. Now, what do we learn about Jesus? Well, once again, working backwards, we see that Jesus describes himself as the son of man which was the most common way that Jesus described himself. What does that tell you? It tells me that Jesus went to great extremes to identify with us. He, he came from heaven to earth. He, he became human. He became human to reveal God to us. He was born of a woman. He had brothers and sisters. He, he learned to trade. He got tired, hungry, thirsty, discouraged. He was misunderstood, mistreated. He suffered. He was tempted in every way as we are. Yes, he went to great lengths to identify with us. Are we willing to identify with him? We also see in this text that Jesus was declared eventually by Nathaniel as rabbi. You are the son of God. Yes, Jesus is a great teacher, but he's more than that. He came to be our king, our Messiah. Last week we talked about have we made him our king, our leader. But the real emphasis of John's gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God. And you see, this is good news to us. Because in Jesus, we see the exact representation of the Father in heaven. We get to see in Jesus a patient, loving God who cries with us when we cry, who hurts with us when we hurt, a God who cares, a God who's come near, a God who longs to have a relationship with us. And finally, at the very beginning of this narrative, as we're working backwards today, we see John the Baptist, not the author of the gospel, but John the Baptist described Jesus as the Lamb of God. 
Now, with our 21st century minds, we can think of lambs as a cute, cuddly animal, maybe kind of like that picture of the puppy I showed earlier in the message. But you know, for the Jewish mind, a lamb had a significant meaning. Because for the Jewish families, every Passover season, they were to slaughter a lamb, to be reminded that that lamb represented the payment for their sin and their need for forgiveness and the mercy of God. When Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist described him as the lamb of God. He came to be our payment for sin. He came not to judge us, but to forgive us. He came not to make us feel guilty, but to make us know the love and mercy of God. Have you allowed Jesus to be your Lamb of God? Are you still trying to be good enough to merit God's love? Or have you accepted Jesus' blood sacrifice for you? As a sinner, I, I fall short every week, every day. Every day I'm recognized of my weakness and my limitations And my nature, you know, I think that people tend to either be deceived or accused when they're conscious, and I definitely have more of an accused conscience by nature. And my nature is to feel accused and to feel guilty for stuff I've done or not done. And yet I'm so glad that Jesus came to be the sacrifice for my sin. He came to carry a burden of guilt that I can't carry myself and neither can you. As we've worked our way backwards through the gospel, we end where we normally begin, the prologue, which is the introduction or the foreword. And here we see the focus of who simply Jesus is. In John 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. I like how the Message Bible reads, this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. You see, Jesus came to make God plain as day to us. Have you received him as your king, as your Messiah, as your Savior, your Lamb, willing to be sacrificed for you. You know, the most famous verse in John is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As we prepare to take communion, let's focus simply on the one who came, the one who came to represent the Father, the one who came to be our King, the one who came to be that perfect blood, that Lamb of God, that sacrifice for us to carry our burden of guilt so that we don't have to carry it anymore. Let's worship Him during this time of communion and let's acknowledge in our hearts who he is to us. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for these gospels, 
these beautiful portraits of who Jesus is. Help us read them with eyes of faith, and we pray that as we read them, you'll create faith in us. Thank you for John's telling of the Jesus story and how he holds him up as this precious lamb of you. Thank you that you were willing to sacrifice your son. Jesus, thank you that you're willing to come and be a sacrifice for us. Help us worship you with our hearts. Help us honor you in this time of communion. And help us resolve during this time of communion that we're gonna spend special time with you and follow after you every day of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.